The moment you shine a light on the very things that scare you, the moment you mm -hmm. turn that spotlight off of your own fears and into the corners where you believe the monsters lie, that is where the truth comes out, right? And that is where you confront the very things you are so afraid of. And in doing so, you realize that many of them are not even that scary in the first place. Hey there, I'm Allison Sue Elliott. Over the years, I've worn a lot of hats in my life. From business school graduate and the wife of a naval officer to homesteader, homemaker, and accidental sheep mom. Now I spend my time studying to become an East Asian medical doctor while also having conversations to help you figure out what it looks like to navigate life with wisdom, wellness, and purpose. From the foods you eat to the relationships you have and everything in between. It all affects how you show up in life. So let's make sure you're able to show up for the life you know you were meant to live. Welcome to the From Within Podcast. Have you ever felt so called to do something that is completely out of your comfort zone, but the idea of actually doing it freaks you out so much that you don't? My guest today has a lot of experience on this topic. She is the co-founder of the Rising Tide Society, the author of Built to Belong, and now the head of community at Flowdesk. Natalie Frank is one of the leaders in empowering hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs to pursue their independent business dreams, to build courageous lives, and to create lasting impact for others. Her most recent book, Gutsy, is all about learning to live with bold, brave, and boundless courage. She's with us today to talk about leaning into what you feel called to, even when you're afraid. So without further ado, here is Natalie Frank. Well, Natalie Frank, welcome to the From Within podcast. Thank you for having I, me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. When I first thought about launching this podcast and I thought about having a conversation about having the courage to step into your calling it was right about the same time that you launched Gutsy and I was sitting at your Gutsy um, book launch and mm -hmm. I was like, I have to ask her to come and have a conversation with us about getting Gutsy. So for those who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote your book, Gutsy. Yes. So I am a small business owner turned mama bear for a small business. I spent a decade of my career as a wedding photographer and grew, you know, this little uh, dream into something that was pretty substantial. And, you know, I had always hoped to become a writer, but I think that photography captured my heart before, you know, I was able to take writing any further than captions on Instagram. And so in building that business, I learned a lot. I learned about the competitive nature of entrepreneurship, and that drove me just into fury. I did something about it. I created a community, and that led me into building solutions for the people that I loved, right? Trying to create space in that instance for small business owners to gather, to support each other, to share knowledge and education, and to embrace this mindset of community over competition. And in doing that and building that community, I had the opportunity to get out on the ground and meet other small business owners and 
part of what inspired Gutsy was a trip that I actually took at the very end of 2019, very beginning of 2020. Now remember to scene set for a minute. We all thought 2020 was going to be our year, right? Remember right. that moment, right? It's January 1st. It's 2020. Yes. It's the turn of a decade. Anything is possible. And so I thought this is my moment. I am going to pack up my family, which is my husband and a 10 month old at the time. We're going to start driving city to city and meeting these small business owners that are a part of our community. And we did. We did that up until March 5th, 2020, which you all know what happened in early March 2020. Mm -hmm. Now, along the way, in those conversations that I was having with business owners, I started to realize that there were fundamental parts of the success conversation that were just being left out. Specifically, I think in the small business world, but in professional conversations, career conversations at large, you know, we we tend to believe uh, that, you know, let's say, failure is the reason most people don't achieve their dreams. And, you know, there are a multitude of things like failure that we kind of have built as these almost idolized scapegoats for, you know, a lack of of why we aren't where we want to be. And what I uncovered in chatting with the most extraordinary, ambitious, scrappy entrepreneurial souls in the country, these are your small business backbone type of people. They can turn anything into a business. In talking with them, I realized that one, no one's immune to what I'm about to say. We're all affected by it, even those of us who maybe would be considered right the gutsy ones. But two, that it isn't failure. It's not failure holding us back. Failure is actually a part of the process in success. Like failures are a good sign. Failures mean you're doing something. Mm -hmm. It's the absence of those failures being held back such that you're not even able to begin, not even able to move forward. And so for me, it was uncovering that it is fear. It is fear that holds more people back than failure ever could. It is fear that keeps us from even doing the things that would warrant failure in the first place. And so... I wrote Gutsy because I recognized that I had something to say about courage. I had a unique perspective to apply to this conversation. And more importantly than that, because I recognized that our world would forever be held back so long as people weren't going after what they were created to do, what they were meant to do, what they had the talents to accomplish or the vision to bring to life. So long as this world is held back by fears and they aren't stepping into their gutsy era, we're all worse off for it. We're all missing out because of it. Wow. And so yeah. my hope is that this book, even if it just encourages one more person to be courageous, that it gets someone out of their comfort zone to go after the things that are ultimately going to change the world. Wow. I So I have to admit, when the first time I read this book, it took me forever to get through it and not because it was boring but because it was one of those books where it's like you read five pages and you're like i have to process and you put it down and you know you step away for a day or two and then you come back and you're like okay i think i'm ready to read the next five pages um and so it took me a while to get through it but one of the things that were that was in this book there was a line where you wrote and this I think is one of the things that I think about this all the time. You wrote, you cannot outrun that which you always carry with you. Your fears aren't this monster that is chasing you. Your fears are the baggage that you carry with you. You cannot outrun them. You can only unpack them. 
And I, it was just so good. And so my question for you is how anyone who's, who wants to do something, who is being stopped by fear, how do you begin to recognize and unpack those things? Oh, first of all, that quote, it's funny, you know, when I wrote the book, I didn't think much of it. And then after publishing it, it has come up over and over and over again. And it was actually my brother-in-law. We had a, a big bonfire after Thanksgiving with all of our friends and he had just finished reading it. It's funny you bring that up because that was the quote. He's like, I love the book. This quote though, like it's going to yeah. kind of haunt me a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. In terms of unpacking, I mean, look, a huge portion of this book is dedicated to steps that you can take, like the DIY version mm -hmm. of this. What I'll say before I get into any of it though, and I talk about this as well, I think in the introduction, if not a couple of places throughout, is that fear looks different to all of us. And what some of us might call fear, somebody else may be experiencing in an even more pervasive and difficult way. And so I just off the top want to say, like, if you are someone where you feel as though these fears are more than fears, that they're really impacting your ability to function in life, gutsy is great. But you, what I would actually encourage, and I just believe this with every bit of my soul, is that's where unraveling them requires help, like true help from a mental health professional that can guide you and can get into the trenches of where those fears originate and how to leverage very clear coping mechanisms and tools to get you to move forward. And I always share that because I have a deep love for therapy. I have been going to therapy forever, forever, not because I am broken, but because I deeply desire to take the pieces of myself that maybe somebody else would call broken and find ways to heal them such that in every aspect of my life, from leadership to parenting to writing, that I can do it from a place of healing or at least in the pursuit of healing my own journey. And so highly recommend as a first step, especially if when I say fear, it is more paralyzing to you than perhaps what is described in the book. So first call out. Second thing though, let's say you're ready for a DIY manual to do it. You're ready to start unpacking it. Maybe you also have some help on the side, but you need some tactical tools day to day. Where I believe everyone should begin, first is getting a clearer picture of who you are. This is the unsexy inner work. This is the where you said like, <laughs> it took me a minute, I'd read and then have to pause. Okay, yeah, that's actually good. I love hearing that. To me, I'm sure to a lot of authors, they'd be like, I'm sorry, what? No, no, if you if you completely just blitz through this book, then I don't know it made the impact you know, that, that I was hoping it would make. The fact is this inner work, it's not sexy and it's uncomfortable. And at times it forces you to pause and to journal or to go for a walk and to think. But it's actually where you begin. You need to get a clearer picture of who you are and what the opinions are that you hold of yourself. And I give exercises in Gutsy. I talk about things like values, for example, mm -hmm. doing a values exercise. This was one that really shaped me personally from the standpoint of, you know, I had spent my whole life believing like, of course, I am a value led individual. And I bet if you ask anyone listening to this, like, are values important to you? Of course, we'd say yes, right? We care about our values. Our values are important. But I didn't realize that not only myself, but most people then couldn't list their top three values if asked or top five. It's one of those things where we perhaps like the concept or the idea or we want to aspire to be someone that is truly value-led. But rarely do we carve out the time in our lives to sit down and evaluate 
what are those values by name? What do they look like for you? I'll give an example. One of my values is collectivism, right? It's this mm -hmm. concept that we are all a part of the same community, the same family, and that we are impacted by one another, by our ability to help each other or hurt each other. Like we're not living in silos, right? Our actions have impact and that can be for good or for bad. And so knowing that, getting clarity on that, it truly has transformed the way I deal with things like my health my setbacks, my failures, my uh, moments where I make a fool of myself. Because in the past, I think I was so afraid to share that with the world. I was terrified about anyone knowing that I'm flawed, that I'm imperfect, right? I didn't want anyone to see it. But when I got clarity around the fact that I care immensely about other people, I really do to a fault, okay? Like when you get clarity on your values, you also get clarity around where your guardrails need to be and you get clarity around the folks in your life that you need in your inner circle, which I also talk about in Gutsy. But having that clarity made it so that now I know that in order to live a life of integrity, which is also another one of my values, I have to be willing to be vulnerable. I have to be willing to share when I make mistakes and to share when I fail and to share when I'm struggling because it's not for me so much as it is for my value of wanting others to know that they're not alone. So your values dictate so much of how you move throughout the world. And when you can articulate them, you know, language is powerful. Then you have the ability to make better decisions that are in alignment with them. And therefore, when it comes to unpacking our fears, you have a toolkit at your disposal to navigate some really challenging decisions because you're not making them in in this from this place i should say of wanting a very clear yes or no answer right because look our hardest decisions in life the ones that cause us that fear reaction very rarely are a clear yes or no answer very rarely is it obvious to us which path we should take we know within ourselves, it is deeply knit within ourselves, where we are being led and where we are being called. I think, though, it's really important for us to acknowledge that, you know, one, we won't have the full clarity. We might feel the inkling. We won't have the full clarity on what we should do, the actual action on the other side of that feeling. Or we won't know how to combat the fears that then somehow make us second guess our own intuition, right? The fears that might be rooted in something real. And I talk about this in the book. I, I talk about the fact that, you know, a lot of people like to dismiss this fear, for example, of what other people think as if you can just write it away. And I say, no, like your, your brain is wired that way. It's wired to care about the opinions of others. It's wired to care about what other people think. It is a feature, not a bug. It's not an accident that you are the way that you are. And like I said, there's nothing broken about it, nothing broken about you. That's how it's supposed to be. And I talk about the reasons why some of, you know, the hypotheses as to why, you know, neurobiologically we are wired to be so attuned to the opinions, the moods, the feelings of others. But the point is, you know, you still have to know how to move forward anyway. You still have to live your life, not by the other, you know, opinions that people hold of you, but by the opinion that you, you hold of yourself. And so it's getting to know yourself. It was a far longer answer than you wanted. I know. But that's the no, truth. It was good. How do you unpack the fears? You get to know yourself. Learn your values yeah. and, you know, take it from there. So good. Yeah. I think I kind of went through a, a time when I did sit down. And this was a few years ago. And I find that sometimes you have to do this every couple of years where you have to go back and be like, yes. 
Yeah. Let me just check in with my values. Have they changed? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's just like different phases of life. You prioritize different things in different phases of life. And so I think that's really good. My, my next question, that's something from something you said, what would be, how do you know, like you personally, what does this look like for Natalie Frank to know when you're called to do something? What does that spark and that surety that this is the thing I'm supposed to do next? What does that look like for you? Yeah. You know, what's funny is I've actually started to learn that fear is kind of a, a beacon for me in the positive sense, right? So like we're the taught indicator. to like, Yes. So, you know, this is, and this is actually yeah. not something I think, I don't know if I touch on this in Gutsy because I, I actually feel like it's something I'm getting more clarity around now after having written the book and done the thing. And I've done a couple other things, you know, in my life that have, that I held back on. Like, it's funny, you, I'll put it this way. Rarely do I think writers actually write from a place of expertise so much Mm -hmm. as they write from the place where they spend the most time as a student. So if you struggle with it, right, you're more likely to want to figure out how to uncover it, learn about it, solve it, or at least share what you're learning with others. And for me, that's this book, right? I don't write about courage and being gutsy because I was born this way. Contrary, right? I I am a constant student of figuring out how to navigate this life where it's a spectator sport and the world is watching me and I'm going to fail over and over and over again. And somehow I would still rather do that than live a life without trying. And so when it comes to how I discern uh, where I'm being led, you know, I think fear serves as a beacon. It's when I start to feel like, oh, that little gut punch of terror, mm-hmm. it's a moment where I go, okay, why? And often it's because I know that I'm being led there and I'm terrified of failing in the pursuit of it, or I'm terrified of all of the things we've talked about, right? That fear, that fear rises up. And so that's one part of it. I also, though, have built in my life, you know, a, a sort of True, a true inner circle of people that, and I talk about this as well, but you know, that aren't yes people. So I like to surround myself with, I don't want to call them no people because that's not exactly what they are, but we'll call them challengers. I like to surround myself with challengers, people who have different perspectives, different lived experiences, different lengths of wisdom on this planet, right? People who are not so quick to agree with me, but rather, enjoy the opportunity to challenge me. My husband is this person, most of all. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they don't do it from a place of, you know, negativity or wanting to cause harm. No, we're at a level in our relationship where the challenging sharpens my discernment process because I either have to kind of double down and uncover why I feel a certain way or why I believe something rather than just assuming that it is the truth, right? Because we do walk through the world not looking for the truth, but assuming or trying to find, I should say, evidence that what we already believe to be true is the truth. Confirmation bias is powerful. And so I need my challengers. And so if I see something that I'm like, ah, I really think I should insert thing here, or I'm really feeling led to do this thing here, I often will explore that on my own first. As I said, you want to get to know yourself before you bring others' opinions into the conversation. And then from there, I invite in that inner circle. I want uh, mainly, you know, my husband's kind of my number one. I'll bring it up with him. And he always thinks it's a bad idea. 
like this is his it's it's just his his i don't know the way he is wired i mean i mean this i'll give a really like a benign example so mm -hmm. i as i mentioned mama bear for small business i really wanted to do something to support our local coffee shops in you know the autumn months during pumpkin spice season because although i love myself a starbucks like let's yeah. don't get me wrong it's in terms of big companies they're actually quite nice to their employees they do a multitude of things like they're they're not evil i don't want to say that but I do think that they've put independence at a disadvantage during PSL season because they've kind of owned the category. So I yeah. wanted to do something to help small and local coffee shops. And I came up with this idea for the pumpkin spice coffee crawl, you know, like a pub crawl, but you go coffee shop to coffee shop, you get a little punch on a punch card every time you order something autumn inspired. And then at the end, there's a prize if you complete it. And this is again benign example we're not talking about life altering or career changing but i knew i wanted to do it and i've got a lot on my plate so anytime i say yes to something it's having to say no to other things right mm -hmm. that matter so i ran it by my husband and i'll just never forget he's like i don't get it i don't get it what is the explain it to me well thank goodness he said that because it really forced me at the time to double down and be like, this is the why. Okay, look, first let me, again, first let me explain why. Here's the vision, here's why I wanna do it. He goes, okay, I'm following and I'm in now, but explain the execution. And he helped me refine and refine and refine so I could discern and better have, you know, have better clarity around the, you know, initiative itself. We ran it, thousands of people this fall did the Annapolis pumpkin spice coffee crawl. We generated a ton of revenue for local coffee shops. It was a blast. I had so much fun doing it. But I know without a doubt that if I hadn't had, so the intuition said, Nat, you got to do something. You've complained about this for five years. Stop complaining about it and do something, mm, right? That's me, yeah. inner me. It's great. Yes, we'll do it. I feel led. Great. But then I bring in those challengers because in doing that, it's iron sharpens iron. He's He was able to, you know, one, make sure I really wanted to do it. And it wasn't just a flash in the pan of shiny object syndrome. That's mm -hmm. helpful. But two, you know, whenever someone challenges you, I think it gives you this opportunity to, you know, welcome the feedback and grow instead of being afraid of, you know, showing up with a first draft. Like you should show up with a first draft to your inner circle. Let it suck. Let it be terrible. And do it yeah. knowing that you can cultivate a relationship where it goes both ways and they're willing to help you refine it into something great. So for me, that is where it it kind of lands in my life. Whether it's a pumpkin spice coffee crawl or leaving a job that I absolutely loved for eight years to jump into a startup that I also love, you know, whether to do IVF or stop our fertility journey, whether to share about my chronic illness, dealing with a benign brain tumor or keep it private. Like those are the, like, again, those are my examples. And for me, it comes back to what are the values? Who am I? How do I unpack the fears around this? And then bringing in my my challengers and my inner circle to, you know, contribute to the conversation. I love that. My husband, Josh, and I have something similar. We call it poking holes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it'll, one of us will like come up with an idea. And it's like, I've been thinking about this for a while. And we'll sit down and it's like, okay, I'm going to tell it to you. And then you've got to like poke holes in poke it. Holes. And, and, you know, like you said, it's not to be mean or malicious or anything. It's like, to be helpful, like where are the holes in, cause I think this is a brilliant idea. Where right. are the holes in this? And so much good I think comes from doing that with someone like you said, because it can be so easy to, to be afraid of what everybody else is gonna say. And so yeah. when you have a trusted person, you're like, 
what's the bad? Like what, what, what are people going to say? It yep. really helps you mitigate and you're like, okay, I can, I know what I'm working with. Like I know what to kind of expect and you just kind of can move on from there. And so, yeah, I love that. Yeah. If you guys do that challenges, having an inner circle. So good. One of the things that I've, I thought about a lot from the book is, is the idea of like being afraid of what other people are going to say and what other people are going to, how they're going to judge you because it's a really big fear that people have. And I actually, I did this. I have a story about this and it, I thought about this as I was reading the book. So years ago and maybe like 2017, I think I started a blog and it's exactly what you were saying where you write from like what it is that you're working through. Yeah. And so I started a blog called Compass My Life. It, it was on personal growth. And I was going through this personal growth journey after my husband and I got married. Life didn't look anything like I thought it would. He had just graduated from the Naval Academy. I had just graduated with my business degree from UMD and we got married and we got to our first duty station. And then he was just gone, gone. all the time because he mm. was, you know, on a ship out to sea. And people would ask me like, oh, where's your husband? I'm like, I have no idea, you know? And so I'm sitting in this apartment like by myself in a state I've never lived in, no family, no friends. And I just found myself like having to sit with myself and go through a personal growth journey. And so I started a blog to just share about what I was learning, but I didn't want anybody to know about it. I didn't want friends to know about it. I didn't want family to know about it. Like I didn't tell anybody that I had done this because I wasn't sure I could keep showing up if I knew that, not that I knew, but I thought that they were gonna judge right. me for it. Right. And then after, so after my husband gets out, he resigned his commission, we moved back to Maryland, because this is where I'm from, and we bought a little hobby farm, which is like a whole nother story. We got sheep accidentally, kind of, and my husband <laughs> comes up one day from the barn. He was like, he had this video where one of the sheep, at the time we were bucket feeding and she had put the bucket by herself. She'd put the bucket on her head to like lick the food, the grain out of the bottom. And I paired it with like some audio and I hit on for Instagram reels and I just like sent it out. It went so viral like 20 million views collectively across all the platforms. It got picked up by like Yahoo and Betches Media. And I was contacted by Animal Planet about this video. <sighs> like it went huge. And what I found was I couldn't hide anymore. Mm. Because suddenly I didn't even know it, but I was being followed by like, my sister, I never told her about this blog and it was, or this profile. And it was like my sister and my sister-in-law and cousins. And my grandmother found like my Facebook page and, you know, all this stuff. And it was like, I couldn't hide anymore. The craziest part about it though, not a single one of them messaged me. Not a single person called me or judged me or said anything about any of it. Like, all the family members, people that I knew from high school and co like college days, like suddenly I look and I'll be like, I don't even know this person like follows me. Like, how did this person 
find my account. Right. I mean, of course, it's because it went viral. But the only thing that anyone ever said to me, and this was just really profound to me because in the end it was like, not that my fears weren't valid, but I had blown them, blown them up in my head. My sister messaged me one day, not too long ago, and she had found like the Facebook profile for this account and she screenshotted it and she sent me a screenshot and all she said was, your description's cut off. It's because like when they redid the Facebook, like my description of what the page was for was like cut off a little bit. So she was like, your description's cut off. And that was it. That is the only comment I've gotten from family or friends about like doing this thing that I was hiding for so long, but that has really been a passion of mine. And so when that happened, I was like, okay. And I just rebranded as my name. And I was like, I'm not hiding anymore because right. that fear that I had of being judged for it. And maybe they are judging and they just don't say anything. I don't know. But it just really helped me be like, okay, I'm just going to step into the thing that I have felt called to do despite being afraid of like what people are going to say, because the truth is they say nothing. And I think that you talk about this in the book where it's like, nobody's listening. Like everyone's listening, but nobody's listening. <laughs> you yeah. Know? No, I, first of all, I love that story. I absolutely love, love, love that story. You know, I, I, oh gosh, that's great. By the way, I need to find that video. Please send me that video. I'll Tag it in the show you. notes. We all yeah. want to see the video. But you know, you're right. And I, I do talk about this there. And I talk, I also pull in some really interesting psychological studies that were done on this. But yeah, nobody's paying attention. We yeah. think, and, and you know, it, I reference it in regards to even the, the spotlight effect, but we kind of walk through the world envisioning that there's a spotlight on us right? Because we are living in our own bodies. We are the ones in in our own conscious awareness navigating the world. So f to ourselves, we are the center. Mm -hmm. But in reality, everyone has that same experience. Meaning I talk about going, I think it was homecoming in high school. And I've always struggled with body image issues. My entire life have struggled with body image issues. And I remember, you know, what was I? Maybe 14, 15 years old standing in front of the mirror and just, I didn't even want to go to the dance. I didn't even want to walk out the door. I didn't want to go to the dance. I felt so much anxiety around how I looked. And I remember my mom saying to me, Natalie, like nobody is even going to be looking at you. Like everyone's going to be worrying about themselves. They're going to be worrying about how they look in their suit, yeah. in their dress. They're going to be worrying if they look like an idiot when they're dancing. They're going to be worrying, you know, like she just kept going on and on and on. She goes, like, truly, Truly, all the anxieties and the fears that you have, they have too. It's not like they're going to walk into this dance without those fears and you're the only one. Like you have to remember, right? We're all kind of having these same patterns of thinking. And so there was something freeing in that. There was something just mm -hmm. so unbelievably freeing about knowing, you know, not that I want anyone else to be struggling with the issues that I struggle with. Gosh, no. But just to know that we're all going through our own thing. For me, it was that. It was looking at that dress and picking myself apart and just feeling like I would never be enough. And I just needed to know that I wasn't alone. And I needed to know that all of us are in our own way, whatever it is for us, you know, kind of focused on on these fears of what other people think. And we're so focused on the fear of what other people think that we're not really thinking about other people at all. And so, you know, I I found that to be incredibly freeing. And another thing I'll say too is, you know, in the small business world, I hear a lot, and this applies, again, beyond it, but I use it as a reference because I think it's it's a really good 
kind of window into human experience, but we hear a lot in the small business world, you know, that nobody's going to support you like an Instagram friend that's never even met you. And that oftentimes it's the people closest to you who are either the slowest to support your big dreams or the first to tell you not to do it. And I've really dug into this over the years because it mm -hmm. always bothered me. And I thankfully only experienced it a few times in my life, but it was just, it was constant. I'd hear about it from the community. Like my partner doesn't get it. My parents think I'm making a huge mistake. My Like insert person they care about doubting them. And I, I learned, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why, but there were two that, that just for me have become crystal clear that I want to share with anyone listening, because if you've come up against this, maybe this will be healing in this part of your journey you know, of putting your name to the blog that you care so much about that you were afraid to do all along, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, one is that if somebody is telling you, like I said, you know, they're not supporting you, let's say in your dream, or they're being overly critical, not that challenger that you need, but rather the cynic that shuts you down because there is mm -hmm. a big difference. Yes. You know, I, I found it's generally from one of two places. So the first is that whenever someone goes forward, and does something that someone else didn't think was possible, it chips away at what I've come to think of as a worldview. So I'll give a specific example. If your parent always wanted to start a business, always wanted to create something of their own, but always believed that it was an unsafe choice, that if they did that, they would risk their family, their finances, and so they mm -hmm. didn't. They stuck to the nine to five. They did what they felt they were supposed to do, and they sacrificed. They put their head down, and even though it was hard, they committed. If you then go do the very thing that once upon a time they maybe dreamt was possible but never pursued, it challenges everything that followed that decision in their life, and it is deeply difficult for people to grasp that. It is very, very painful for us to imagine that perhaps had we chosen differently, our lives would have worked out differently. We tend to want to confirm that we've made the right choice, period, right? Like that is how our mm -hmm. brains are wired. So it can be very hard for someone that loves you to see you taking a risk and succeeding or trying something new that they've been too afraid to try or expanding beyond the comfort zone that they've tried to build walls around for themselves because it makes them question if that one thing is possible, and I've always told myself it wasn't, what else am I wrong about? And it's amazing how one chip at a worldview can end up in a wall completely crumbling to the ground. And that is one of the most terrifying things that, that human beings kind of avoid and try to, try to uh, navigate or not, you know, not approach at all. So that's one, the potential challenge to the worldview. And that's a hard one and a painful one. But the second one's out of love. And this I see probably the most often, which is the people that surround you that love you so incredibly deeply that they do not want to see you hurt. They don't want to see you go through something hard. They don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you skin your knees. As a parent, I, that's where I'm at now. My kid's learning to ride a bike. The sheer thought that I know he's going to fall off this bike. I know yeah. it is inevitable he will fall. You can't learn to ride a bike without falling. If there's a technique also, though, mm -hmm. send me a DM, please. <laughs> and as his mom, right, everything in me is screaming, protect him, protect him, protect him. Don't let him fall. Don't let him skin his knees. 
Mm-hmm. I also have to acknowledge, like I said, he will never learn to ride the bike if he doesn't fall. And so when we talk about these big life decisions, whether you're going to fall or not, it's not necessarily an inevitability in all of life's um, pursuits, but there are going to be people in your life that love you so fiercely that they are me in this scenario with my son learning to ride the bike. They're going, yeah. you know, like, Allison, don't do it. You, What if? What if? this thing blows up and you, you know, blah, 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 blah. What if you, you know, decide to have kids and everything about your life is ruined and you hate it and you regret it? What if you decide not to have kids? You say you don't want to have kids. What if you regret it? Like I literally, you just can hear it. Can't you? The parent, the voice, the friend, the partner, the whatever it is. Don't start the business. We've all, I know in one way or another. And so I think sometimes getting clarity around the why You know, Mm -hmm. like whether it's something that someone was denied or they denied themselves and the pain of that and the inability to process it or the deep, deep love and commitment that they don't want to see you in pain, like whatever it is, I think in my world, I've just found it to be enlightening, even when it's a hypothetical conversation that I have with myself. So in the case of the blog, you know, I know there were incredible doubts and fears, but you did it. Even if you did it anonymously, the courage it takes to put your work out into the world, right? That is gutsy. And so in doing that, you know, sometimes it helps to walk through the worst case scenarios in terms of the critics. Okay, great. What are they going to say? Like you said, poking holes, right? That's another Mm -hmm. way to look at it. But they're going to say this. So what? They're going to say that. So what? They're going to say this other thing. Like, so what? The moment you shine a light on the very things that scare you, the moment you Mm -hmm. turn that spotlight off of your own fears and into the corners where you believe the monsters lie, that is where the truth comes out, right? And that is where you confront the very things you are so afraid of. And in doing so, you realize that many of them are not even that scary in the first place. Many of them you're comfortable with that very form of discomfort, right? Like you're able to grow into it. You're able to Mm -hmm. accept it, but you first have to address it. Yeah, I think so. Two things. One, the two things that you said, so spot on because I know for us, and sometimes I think they're combined where it's like someone is saying not to do it out of their own fear, but also because they love you so much that they don't want you to fail. We experienced that so much when we bought the farm. The amount of people, I get told almost daily in DMs, in person, from people showing up, from family members, from friends, this is the dream. Like they'll they'll come and they'll be at the property and they'll just be like, this is my dream. Mm. And they're the same ones who said, don't do it. I'm kind of scared for you. I, and you know, and I know that that came from a place of, both their own fear, like this is the dream. This is what I've wanted my entire life, but what'll happen if I do it? And also like, I love you so much. I'm scared to see you fall. And we did it, obviously we did it anyways. And it was hard. Like in some ways they're right, you know? And I called my grandmother one day and we were going through something. And I said, I was like, I don't know why it's so hard, grandma. I was like, I wasn't expecting, I was like, I knew it was going to be hard, but this is hard. And I don't know Mm -hmm. how, how to like work through this. And she said something that's just stuck with me since then. And she's like, you don't know what you're learning today that you're going to need in the future. (sighs) 
And, and so every time I go through something hard now that it's like, somebody warned me because there's that part of your brain that's like, they said that this was going to happen. So maybe they're right. And every time now that I go through something hard or like another situation that comes up where I'm like, huh, they did say that this was going to happen. I also remind myself, I'm like, but grandma said, <laughs> you don't know what you're learning today that you're going to need in the future. And that has proven to be true far more times than whatever like fear or failure thing has come up. Mm. Yeah. I love so, that. Your grandma is very wise. That is beautiful. Is. The last thing that I think is just really important to talk about is, is the idea of failing and being afraid mm. to fail moving past like that fear of embarrassing yourself and just being at peace with being bad at something until you get good at it. Yeah, I okay, I yeah, I admit this in the book and I have talked about it more often in the last year than I probably feel comfortable with, but it took me until my 30s to realize that I could do something and suck at it. Like I, I want to just again, I know it sounds weird to say that, but I, for a minute mm -hmm. I want us to think about how many times, you know, we felt as though if we can't be good at it, there is no point pursuing it. Mm -hmm. It took me until this stage of life to go, okay, so I suck at singing, but I like it, you know, or, yeah. and, and in the book I say, you know, knit a scarf no one will ever wear. Yeah. Write a song that if you sung it would shatter the windows, you know, like do something, even if you suck at it, even if it mm -hmm. makes you look like a fool, if it brings you joy, be willing to do it, even if the world would laugh, even if they would think that it's ridiculous. I, I, there is something so freeing about that simple knowledge that you can pursue things that bring you joy, even if you're terrible at them. Now, in terms of talking about the fear of failure, it's very real. And I do believe that a lot of the underpinning of that is not so much the failure itself, but like I, we've talked about over and over, it's like, but when they see it, right? When, when mm -hmm. other people see you fail, when it becomes public that you failed, the I told you so is like you've talked about with the farm, all of those sorts of moments. You know, when it comes to failure, we really do have to reframe our relationship with it. I have come to learn that failure is not an ending so much as it is a stepping stone on the pursuit of success, very much to what your grandmother said. You know, we have that choice. We can hit the roadblock and stop the journey or we can acknowledge that we needed to hit the roadblock in order to mm -hmm. learn something to carry with us into the next challenge, the next season, the next era of our lives. And had we not experienced that failure, we never would have experienced our greatest success. I've seen that play out over and over and over again. The doors that shut, shut for a reason, mm -hmm. right, in my life, some painfully. I married my husband when we were, I was 22, he was 23. We were very, very young and I wanted babies. I always wanted babies right away. I wanted them right away. I wanted to be done. I always remember saying I want three by 30, like as a little girl, three by 30. I want three kids by 30. I laugh now. I laugh now. Yeah. I said the exact same but, thing and I'm 30. I think a lot of us. One and I, I have no children. So I know. I know. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So yes. So, you know, I had, I had these dreams and, a, but the door was shut for me. I, you know, as I've, I've kind of alluded to, but you know, I've dealt with some health issues. One of them caused infertility and mm -hmm. 
having infertility as a result of a benign brain tumor, that door was shut, I thought forever. It was shut for a season. But nonetheless, you know, I look at that now. And at the time, I felt like, again, I would have said, like, this is the greatest, this will be the greatest failure in my eyes mm-hmm. in that moment. Like, I couldn't do the one thing I wanted to do since I was a little kid. And I, I really wrestled with that. And now looking back, I see very much so how that season shaped me and made me exactly who I needed to be in every season that followed, including the season I'm in now with two babies through IVF, right? Mm-hmm. I, I see very much so how it shaped me to be more empathetic as a leader, how it put things in perspective for me, how it challenged me to both fight for the things I wanted and learn that I had to cope when the best case scenario didn't come. Mm-hmm. When the things that were not guaranteed didn't, you know, end up the way that I had hoped, not just once, not just twice, but multiple failed cycles and multiple failed rounds and hundreds of injections later. And so I think that, you know, when it comes to failure, if we are able in whatever season, big decisions, small decisions, you know, kind of looking at it through this lens, not of something we should avoid, Mm -hmm. but actually something that we should embrace, albeit at times painfully, but we should embrace because in doing so, it equips us with what we need in order to move forward. It gives us the tools we need in order to embrace the next success, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'll share here is that you know one of the best career lessons I ever learned in regards to failure was taught to me by my uh, former boss, the, the CMO of HoneyBook, former CMO of HoneyBook, Dan Visnick. And I remember, I, I do touch on this in Gutsy, I remember his first day because I was terrified of him. I, I mean, again, to put, to just give some context, this is this big chief mar- marketing officer being brought into our team. I'm the head of community. So I'm reporting into this person I don't know. And they come from companies you might've heard of like Google, okay, mm-hmm. change.org. Barack Obama follows him on Twitter. Like this guy's legit. Okay. Yeah. Well, Barack Obama. Okay. Follows him, right? Like I'm very intimidated. He sits down at the table in this marketing call and we're all kind of sitting around the room. People are on, you know, Zoom. I think at the time we were, we were starting to do more of that and we we're all sitting in chairs. I remember I was there and, you know, he looks around and he says to us, does anyone know how many swings on average it takes a major league baseball player to hit a home run? And we're all panicked, right? Because we're terrified. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, okay. This is one of those interview questions, right? Where they try to see if you can do mathematical equations in your head and at least estimate close to the correct answer. Because yeah. it clearly can't be a question about baseball. We don't work at a company that has anything to do with sports. And we're all panicking. And he kind of laughs and he goes, I remember he said, you know, the number doesn't actually matter that much, right? The, the, the reason I ask the question is for the premise, which is even the best batters in the world have to swing multiple times before they even hit the ball at all. And when they hit the ball, it is only but a sheer fraction of those that ever make it into the stands as a home run. And so you have to be willing to get up and swing the bat, knowing that it will be only but a fraction of those swings that will ever result in the home runs of your life and that there will be more strikeouts, right, than there will be home runs. The odds are not in your favor when you get up to bat but you got to swing anyway. And it is not, right, the the failure that we're so afraid of. It's just giving it one more shot. 
and being willing to do that over and over and over again. And he was speaking at it or speaking about it, you know, from this lens of psychological safety and building failure as uh, kind of something we're comfortable with on the team, experimenting, learning from data, iterating, mm -hmm. improving. Like he's talking at it about it as a boss. And here I am. I, I still to this day, you know, apply that to so much of my life in the personal sense. You know, you have a rough day. Guess what? I'm going to fight on. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to swing the bat. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again because I know one thing for certain. Although success is not a guarantee, if I don't get back up and I don't swing that bat, failure is inevitable. And so it's a matter of being willing to get up and to try and to try again. And I think that reframing of the concept has been really powerful for me. Yeah. And can I just say one thing on this? One thing that I, I learned, like you said, like in my 30s, is that failure is not not being perfect. Mm. Like, I think sometimes we think yes. of failure as anything that isn't perfect when it's not not perfection, you know? And I realized this, I was actually having a conversation with my other grandmother. And so, um, and I'll end on this, but my, so my grandmother, she was born in Korea. And she moved here when she was in her 20s. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather, so her dad and her grandfather were both doctors in Korea, which we know as like East Asian medicine, acupuncture and herbologists, they call them pharmacists. And so, you know, my husband and I are both working on our doctorates towards East Asian medicine right now. And I call, oh. when I called her to tell her that we were going to do it, she, you know, she was like, you can do that because... She didn't get to be a doctor because she was a woman in that time. You know, mm. she's almost 90 years old. Like she didn't get to be a doctor because she was a woman. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And recently she called me and she said, I, she said, I want to tell you something before I die. And I was like, okay, grandma, you're going to live forever, but that's fine. She said, she said, you know, my dad was a doctor and my grandfather was a doctor. And she said, someday, if you stick with it, you'll be a doctor. And she said, and someday... If you are kind to your patients and you practice for a long time, you might be a good doctor. Mm. And if you do that, I'll be really proud of you. And when she said that, it just hit me because I was like, I don't have to be perfect at everything. Like the goal is not to be perfect at everything you do. The goal is just to show up and for me, it was like so much freedom from having to show up perfectly or having to show up even well. She was like, someday you're gonna be a doctor. Yes. And that's just because you made it through the classes. And someday if you keep going, you might be a good doctor. And I've just started to apply that to all the things in my life where it's like, I feel called to do this thing, so I'm gonna do it. And while I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And if I keep going, someday I might do it well. And if you can just, mm be at peace with the fact that like you're doing it and you might not be doing it perfectly and you might not be failing. You might just be doing it. That is still showing up and that is still being gutsy. I love that. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, to wrap us up, I was wondering if you would be willing to read us the gutsy manifesto. Yes, let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Now with the tear in my eye after that story. <laughs> I know if you're on the podcast, you can't see me. 
I was crying um, yeah. as she was I talking cried. about her I grandmother. Mean, I cried I a lot love when that. she said that. Yeah. That's, it's very powerful. Gosh, yeah. that is so powerful. I, you know what? It's funny. As you were talking, I thought about it in terms of being a parent for me mm-hmm. in this season of like, it's funny how, yeah, I just have to keep showing up every single day and mm-hmm. imperfectly, right? In, in whatever yeah. we do. I love it. Okay. We'll close with the gutsy manifesto. Yes. The cynics and critics who taunt from the sidelines may see what stands before us, but they cannot fathom the courage that lies within us. With hopeful hands and healing hearts, we choose to honor the beauty of our imperfections. No longer will we hide who we are or cower in the presence of other people's opinions. The weight of the world's expectations was heavy, so we put it down. We let it go. We surrender the war we have been waging against ourselves and choose instead to open our hearts. With self-assurance as our shield, core values as our compass, and a sword made from bold and boundless bravery, we march. Step by step, we climb from the valley of validation and ascend to the summit where our striving ceases. Here, we do not shrink back or dim our light. Here, we shine. Here, we allow ourselves to be seen and we lift our voices to be heard. We look into the mirror bravely and we commit to defend the bright soul we see staring back. We choose to know ourselves, be ourselves, and love ourselves. We hold space for our healing. We give grace in our grieving. We are the compassionate caretakers of our inner child. We do not run from what scares us. We run towards what fuels us. Our purpose ignites us. Our passion fans the flames. We are risk takers, wave makers, and world changers. We are the ones who dare to dream, the ones who choose to act. We are brave. We are free. We are gutsy. Wow. I don't know what else to say about that conversation. It was truly a mindset shifting kind of conversation, the kind that I know I needed to hear today and no doubt someone else did too. So a huge thank you to Natalie. We are truly so grateful that you joined us today on the From Within podcast. If you want to hear more from Natalie, you can find her at nataliefrank.com as well as on social media and Instagram at Natalie Frank. And then also, if you have not grabbed a copy of Gutsy yet, I highly encourage you to run to your local bookstore to grab a copy. It is a life changing because it's a mindset shifting book read it slow, read it fast, whatever pace you need to go at to get through it. Totally fine. Maybe grab some tissues because it is one of those types of books. You're going to work through some stuff and be the better for it. So highly encourage that. Thank you so much for listening today and we will see you next time. Well, what did you think? Did you get a negative wisdom in today's episode? I hope you did because that is literally what this podcast is here for. If you're ready for another episode or want to dive into show notes, discount codes, and freebies mentioned today, head to alisonsueelliot.com forward slash podcast. Until next time.
I'm grateful for you, and I'm praying that the words said here today are healing in ways you didn't even know you needed.